Let it never be said that Chet Moten forsook his companions in the hour of distress. Let the thieves do their worst. Chet Morton defies them. Chet, I love you. It's 2018 and everyone gets a podcast. Mine is the Hardy Boys Drink Book. The Hardy Boys Drink Book wants to welcome you back for the new year. We've taken a bit of a hiatus over the holidays, but we're so excited to be back. My first guest of the new year is actor James Thompson. And instead of having one of our favorite bartenders make us a drink, I'm rolling up my sleeves and making the drink myself. We're going to be doing some things differently this year, and we're going to be bringing back some of our favorites. Like bingo! The drink I created for today is called St. Brendan's Voyage. You can Google that. It's two parts Irish whiskey, one part apple brandy, and several, several dashes of very strong ginger bitters. I love the balance of flavors, and I think you will too. Discover a house with too many secret rooms, deal with a couple of doppelgangers, and risk life and limb for the stupidest invention ever in... Episode 11, While the Clock Ticks, featuring James Thompson. Hey, detectives. Welcome to the show. I am here with James Thompson. Welcome to the show, James. Thank you for having me, Charles. Uh, we are here to talk about book 11 in the Hardy Boys mystery series, While the Clock Ticked. James, what were your first impressions of this book? Well, my initial thought is, oh boy, howdy. It sure looks like they're in some kind of danger. This is a really fun cover. Yeah. Really funny. Should we describe I think before we even jump into anything else, we need to address this cover. Of course we do. Of course. All right. Well, take it away. So what we are seeing is Frank and Joe Hardy in their, not quite matching, but in their polos and slacks, like most kids wear when you run around doing detective work. Right. Bound and gagged, desperately struggling, while in the background, a grandfather clock is revealing a secret uh, passageway behind it with a really creepy old man coming out from behind it. He's so creepy. One, he's... Like, uh-huh. as we say on the show, the oldest man in the world. Mm-hmm. Also, he looks so tired. And he's sneaking. He looks like he's actually sneaking away. Like, he's left them there. But it's the fear in the boy's eyes that really drives it home. Because we know that the Hardy Boys don't feel fear like this. Of course. And they look terrified of this man. Yeah, the only way to describe this is they're like, oh no, he's coming. Is this it? Frank? Yeah. Frank, I'm so sorry I, I got us into this. I don't know what he's going to touch us with, but I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I think that's a great intro to this book. It's, um, this is a pretty standard Hardy Boys tale. Yeah, even from just listening to the other episodes of the podcast, this one felt very, oh yeah, this this is kind of the formula. This yeah, like, kind it's, of what I expected. it's a classic. Like, we've gotten too far away. The boys, you know, went to Montana. I think we got too far off track. Yeah. Uh, so let's get back to basics. Well, before we get into the book too much, James, you are currently in a play at Vintage Theater? Yes, I'm in a musical called Honeymoon in Vegas. It is a fun, comedic musical adaptation of a 1992 Nicolas Cage, Sarah Jessica Parker movie. Oh, it actually is Mm -hmm. Honeymoon in Vegas. Yes, absolutely. It's not Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. No. It's not Leaving Las Vegas. Uh It's It's not 4,000 Miles to Graceland, which is the more famous one with Nick Cage. No, this is the comedy one. I I didn't assume they were actually connected. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a lot of fun. I play a flying Elvis in the second act. Oh, that's awesome. And in the first act, I'm a swarthy, one of our favorite words right. from the series, uh, lounge singer. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Flying Elvis is one of the best Elvises that you could get to be because there's so many different types of Elvis. Yeah. And there's like G.I. Elvis was mm-hmm. cool. Yep. But then there's like, you know, there's late fat Elvis. Yep. That's pretty much the one you don't want to yeah, be. Yeah, I, initially when I was cast, I was a little worried that that's exactly why it was cast. It was like, uh-huh. are, you, are you saying something about me? Like late like, in the game. Like I've been, I've been going to the gym like three times a week. Are you, are you worried about that? Uh, but no, it's a lot of fun, a lot of singing, a lot of heart. Well, 
let's jump into the book here. Of Before we do, I want to just say that the Hardy Boys Mystery Series was created by F.W. Dixon in the 1920s. F.W. Dixon is better known as the inventor of the self-inventing machine. Lazy bastard. And uh, they were updated in the 50s to make them a little more PC, a little less racist, and uh, cut 100 pages off. Because I have never felt like these books need another 100 pages. I think that was probably the best change they made. At least from this book, I'm convinced they probably could have nixed another 50. Another 50, yeah. Easily. And I want to let everybody know that, very exciting, Bingo is back. So we've added some new things to the Bingo board. I will update the website so you can go on and play along, generate your own card. Um, We added some new great stuff, like when the Hardy Boys get a new vehicle, which seems to happen every other day. Or, uh, you know, all the various chases, things like that. Uh, We're just going to jump into the story here. Uh, Yeah, they're coming home and they see this guy leaving their house. Mm -hmm. And they go inside and Aunt Gertrude, who I guess is uh, Fenton... And Laura are on a camping trip in Maine. That's right. I kept thinking they were going to come back. I was so excited to be like, oh, I, I want to know what Fenton is doing. I want to know what Fenton Hardy is up to. He's camping in Maine with Laura. I yeah. guess they deserve some time away, but Aunt Gertrude is watching the boys, mm-hmm. which is rough for everyone involved. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alerts for, for further into the book, but I would alternately title this book, While the Aunt Gertrude Kept Stopping the Mystery. Yeah. At one point, she literally makes them stop the mystery to do their chores. Several, so many times. Yeah, she's like, oh, no, we're done. Aunt Gertrude says, oh, that man came looking for a detective, and I told him your dad was gone. And they're like, we're detectives, and chase this guy down. Mm -hmm. Which, that would be so frustrating to me. If I had a legitimate, like, serious thing I needed Mm -hmm. an adult's help with, and then some, like, teenagers came up, and they're like, we'll try. Mm -hmm. Uh, He doesn't give them a lot of information, though. Not initially. He says literally, like, take a hike. Or yeah. something. Yeah, and it's like the most subtle, weird direction. Oh, well, you should go... This looks like a good day for hiking. Maybe you should try going this direction. To Willow here. Road, and then this two place. miles down, and then take a left, and then... Take a left. But that's just a suggestion. No, just like, a suggestion. So, of course, they're going to do that. And should we address the name of this man? Oh. Because it is... Right. I didn't even understand it, but you yeah. you seem to have really enjoyed it. So, as written, uh, I understand this name to be pronounced Dalrymple, which is a Scottish name, Raymond Dalrymple. And because I am a very classy, low-hanging fruit comedy guy, I imagine if his name is Scottish, he himself must be Scottish. Yes. Uh, but Raymond Dalrymple, you can't do that to that. You can't give us one of the possibly good guys with the complicated name. Right. That's the thing, is I immediately thought this guy was a bad guy, because I was like, his name's weird. Yeah. Weird. Weird. Uh, then again, Chris was one of the bad guys in a previous book. Uh, yes, absolutely. The great Chris Chase. They get ready to go hiking, and they all dress like in Indiana Jones in the Boy Scout scenes. Mm-hmm. They all, yeah. I imagine, they're dressed exactly yeah. like that, like turn-of-the-century scouts. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that kid, the his fat friend, Indiana's fat friend, is totally like Chet Morton. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so they go out clomp, clomp, clomping uh, on a hike, and they almost get run down, as per usual, mm-hmm. by a limousine... I realize that. I'm oh, sorry. Do you want to? No, that? I think we're about to think about the same thing. Because I think of a limousine as the super long, super deluxe. But then I realize they call those stretch limousines, right? So I think that we just haven't seen a real limousine. Yeah, it, it clearly because this is just like a pretty long car that's black and and tries to run them down. They go to the cops about it, or they run into a cop. That's right, yep. out there, and the cop tells them there are harbor thieves in the area, and he was chasing them, but he lost them. Right. And, again, this is something that the listeners won't be able to see, but in our version of the book, there is an illustration of Frank, Joe, Chet, and Biff 
all diving to the side of the road to get out of the way of the limousine. They keep describing Chet as the husky or the plump. Yeah. I showed several friends this picture of four boys who all look basically identical, and a bunch of people had different answers as to which one... Which one was Chet? ...was supposed to be plump, because they all look like they all have maybe 120, 150 pounds on them, maybe. Yeah, I, you're right. Yeah, that's For just... the life of me, I can't tell which of these boys yeah. is supposed to be plump. Like, I think the only distinguishing factor is Chet has to be the one who's a little bit balder because they have to give him something that doesn't make him automatically the most beautiful. It would be my assumption. Okay, so they made him bald, too. Yeah. Oh, Chet. Oh, guys. Oh, man. Uh, oh. And then there's a whole chapter where they go hiking. Yep. Uh, an entire chapter where they just, they go out. I appreciated Chet's self-awareness. Mm -hmm. They're hiking out, and he's like, this is a pretty weird place to be hiking. Yeah. And they're like, don't worry about it. Wait, you're the Hardy Boys. You do mysteries. Is this a mystery? And they're like, just shut up. And then they walk around this really giant old stone house, and mm -hmm. they're like looking at all the windows and trying all the doors, and Chet's like, so it's a mystery. Okay, can we go? Uh, just a few more minutes. He's like, okay, well, I don't want to be here, and I don't mm -hmm. want any part of your mysteries anymore. Yeah. When they finally agree that, yes, we're going to leave, that's totally fine, Frank, Joe, and Biff looked at one another, eyes twinkling. There remained a full hour until lunchtime. And so when I read that, my first thought is, oh, well, Frank and Joe, they want to keep exploring. So right. they're like, oh, we've got another hour to explore. But no, they decide, you know, it'd be really funny if we screwed around with the plump guy for an hour saying that we can't eat yet. Yeah, yeah, he keeps finding the perfect spot to sit down and have a picnic, and they're like, no, this sucks. And then he finally, like, what about this ditch? And okay. then they all sit in a ditch and they eat their dinner. <laughs> the ditch, the ditch. And it's like, but, but, but we don't have what we need here. And they just casually point to something that kind of resembles Yeah, they're like, there's no running water. There's a little washway over there. Yeah. Oh, there's no shade. Yeah, there's a tree about 20 feet away. Guys. And then they eat succulent sandwiches, mm -hmm. a jar of home-preserved peaches, a gallon thermos of chilled milk, and slabs of chocolate cake. A gallon thermos of chilled milk. Yeah, now, they each drank a quarter gallon, or they or Chet drank a half gallon, yeah. and the rest of them split what was left. I mean, I can only imagine how good thermos technology was back in the even 1920s. They get back to their house, yeah, and, and Dalrymple is waiting. Dalrymple's for back. He's like, "What'd you find?" And they're like, "Nothing. The doors were locked. We didn't tell us anything." Mm -hmm. Oh, but they do have clues. They're like, "Well, the person was out there last night." Mm -hmm. They show that they have detective abilities. Yeah. Because it's Frank who's able to see, oh, their footprints. Yeah, there. and then he like pulls the grass aside and everyone can see it. Yeah, like, You've got x-ray eyes, Frank. No, they do some pretty pretty solid detective work mm -hmm. in this one. Oh, and then they learn about Dalrymple's whole situation. And mm -hmm. basically it's this. He has this house that he bought. It's this old stone house way out in the middle of nowhere. It was owned by a recluse. When he moves in, he finds out that there's what's basically a panic room. It's like a room in the middle of the house that's hermetically sealed and locked with a safe door and has a time lock on it. So, Which is very important. A time, time safe door. That, safe will, that will door. come up so Again often. and again and again. And so he knows when he can get in there. And he likes to... It's quiet and well furnished. So he goes in there and he like does his... He's a banker. Mm -hmm. And he does banker man work. But he keeps finding notes in it like he'll come in and he's the only person who knows about the time lock mm -hmm. but he'll come into the room and there'll be a note in the middle of it that's like you must leave this house forever or death will overtake you frank with a puzzled expression read the other threat death while the clock ticks he looked up what does this mean yeah what does that mean yeah death while the clock ticks now mr dixon i don't want to challenge what you know 
about clocks, but don't clocks tick continuously, like mm-hmm. for the entirety of a twenty-four hour period? Yeah, when the clock chimes. Oh, yeah, yeah, that would have been that death made when more the sense. clock chimes. Yeah, not when it. No, when the clock ticks. So as long as the clock is working, you're gonna yeah. die. Yeah, absolutely, um, continuously. Yeah, and then I, I really like that he that he tells the voice. He's like, and then after you know, he's like, after I had this whole room and I found out all about it, I found a warning note. And they then they read it, and he's like, "Where do you think I found that?" And they're like, "In the in the safe room." How could you know? Well, oh, we've read mysteries and been involved yeah. in mysteries. Why would you come to us if yeah. it wasn't in the safe room? Yeah, I I couldn't decide what was weirder in that sentence is the fact that he was surprised that they figured it out, or the fact that they were surprised that, of where it was. Because it's like, tell you what, we're having a conversation about my secret room, the secret room, the secret room. Have I mentioned the secret room? Look at this note I found. Where do you think I found it? The the secret. Ruth? How could you have possibly known I was talking about that? Right. Then again, I'm also surprised that the Hardy Boys weren't just like, where? Yeah. Because that would have <laughs> been equally believable for the Hardy Boys not to uh, uh, not to know. Okay. I love this. Chet throws another party. This is uh-huh. Chet's like fifth party yep. in, in the 11 books that we've read. And the only reason that the Hardy Boys end up going to it is because, yeah, they're just not yeah, going to go. They, they weren't going to go. They were going to head right back to the Purdy place. They were going to keep doing their investigation. Oh, it's called the Purdy Mansion. So the Purdy, if we say the Purdy oh, place. I apologize. No, I just want to, because I wrote, I keep kept writing Purdy. And I was like, okay, we have to make sure that it's not, it's not a Purdy yeah. place. Ooh, it's, this place sure is Purdy. Sure is Purdy. I'll tell you what. But they're, yeah, they're not going to go to the party. But then Jerry Gilroy, and, all the sort and of. And Brito. And then Phil Cohen is with them. And what, Callie Shaw? Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, Frank caught sight of the sparkling brown eyes and pretty face of his favorite date, Callie Shaw. And at no point was like, what are you doing with Jerry? What are you doing with you? And well, you know, they, well, you know, the boys are all right. They they know that she's my gal. She's his favorite date. So they go to this party. Oh, yeah. And they're kind of a-holes about it. Mm-hmm. They show up and pretty much tell everybody, we're here, okay, but we're not staying. Uh, but then, just, and I wrote this down in my notes, I'm pretty sure the scene only existed to remind the audience, oh no, don't worry. Our heroes have no flaws whatsoever. They're popular, and they have pretty dates. Right. Because Even they, if they're not going to yeah. go to a party, they show up yeah. and they're with a pretty girl. Really? This scene only exists, I'm positive, to reestablish, oh no, don't worry, they're straight. Yeah, they're no, straight, they have they're lots straight. of friends. They're, they're into women. And the, yeah, they, and they go out on the on the porch with their two dates, and they're like, oh, you boys are so romantic. Which, I don't know who, too many brothers who would both take their dates out on, yeah, the, I, on the porch at the same time. Um, and then they're just, and then as soon as they get out there, they're like, no, we're actually just sort of going to peace. Yeah. You are on detective business, Ella yes. Slames. Let's see here. Oh, they go out to the old house again. And uh, they're looking around. And I like that they, that they think about climbing the wall around the place. Mm-hmm. And Frank's like, no, I looked at the top and it's, uh, there's a bunch of... Broken glass that has been embedded into the concrete. Now, did it say broken embedded yeah. into the concrete? He said, he said, no, I looked at the wall this morning. There are pieces of old, jagged, broken glass all along the top. Apparently, Jason Purdy didn't like company. Okay, so I was thinking about that. Like, okay, there are two ways to interpret that. My thought was, oh, well, the most logical is what you just said. They had mm-hmm. to have been embedded into it. Because otherwise, I'm imagining Joe just like, oh, that's really inconvenient. Actually, let me just take some of my sleeve real here. Just like, yeah, brush, brush off, off the broken glass. And problem solved. <laughs> like someone had stood in the in the upper floors of the house and thrown glass bottles at the yeah. wall. That's awesome. Yeah. I would do that. That, that wasn't a defensive mechanism. Uh, Jason Purdy was just really drunk one night. 
And threw all the bottles out. Threw all the and bottles. that bottle, he had invested all of his money in oh, those that was, bottles. That so. is the world's most expensive, jagged, broken glass right there. <laughs> Young man, I will have you respect that old broken glass. And Let's see. Well, be... they see somebody out there, right? Yeah. At the old house. They start chasing them around. It starts a storm. They see a big clock. They hear a scream. Yeah. yeah. It's very important that they, that they heard that clock. Oh, it's yeah. Very important. Couldn't be more the obvious. Clock. They walk by a room and they look through and the only thing they see in it is this giant clock. And then they keep moving. Yeah, and it's you know not as though the cover itself didn't give away the mystery because again on our so version of frustrating. on our version of the book, it is so obvious that there is a there's a man coming the out clock. there's a man coming out of a secret passageway or going into a secret passageway that's behind the clock. So we know that there is a secret passageway behind the clock. Yeah. Like, not to keep going back to this, but the Nancy Drew story was that we just read was called the Hidden Staircase, and the whole mystery was about how. The ghost was doing the ghost stuff. And we're like, a hidden staircase. Why did you name the book that? How could you know that? Oh, and remember, uh, part of the reason why they don't initially chase the man into the room is oh. because they're like, oh, maybe it's Mr. Dalrymple. No, it's, maybe it oh, just looks yeah. like Mr. Dalrymple. That's a big thing. They see a guy around the house and they're like, we told Mr. Dalrymple not to come back out here. But that's totally Mr. Dalrymple. But then they don't, like... Right. Run up to him. They're like, let's see what he's doing. Maybe he's, like, not on the up and up. And then yeah. that guy goes in the house. They hear a scream... And then somebody runs out of the house, and it's a, it was a huge shock to me. But before we find out, I'm gonna, I want to check in with Bingo here Absolutely. and see what we have. Let's see. They definitely had that picnic. I don't know if you've got that one. Oh, we absolutely have a picnic. Let me make sure it was left on mine, that you're not rigging it. Ah, oh, it's not on mine. Oh, you poor bastard. No. Um, uh, have wait. they gone trespassing? What do you got? You got anything? I- they've gone trespassing they weren't allowed to be there that's true that's true the owner uh they have not yet caused any of that uh they haven't yet had an actual injury uh we've heard mention of fenton but he's not hasn't actually been here attempted murder i have that one with the car i think that that one would have been yeah, more that, vehicular man that would have been uh, that would have been there and there's the threat of a reward. There's the but threat of a reward. They've been we, threatened with a reward. Well, would we count this as leaving Bayport? Because it technically says they take the road out of... Yeah, well, I mean, it's between Bayport and Lakeside, right? Right. Does that count as leaving I Bayport? think that that counts as leaving okay. Bayport. Thank you. I, I would like at least one to... Yeah, yeah, you got it. bring my own stuff. See, I was hoping that I would have Mrs. Hardy leaves the house, since she's on this camping trip. Oh, I have that one. Oh, fantastic. Thanks for reminding me. That's great. But no Fenton Hardy in this one. He's our free square. Yeah, no Fenton Hardy. The idea is that you always get Fenton Hardy. Oh, man. Not even in this one. I was so convinced. So was I. I even wrote in my margin. I was like, Fenton? I I bet you and I have the exact same Oh, man. Okay. Well, the person who ran out of the house is Herd Applegate. Herd Applegate. I, this was where I had a question of... Because I haven't been reading these books along with you. Is this a character I should know already? So, the very first book, The Tower Treasure, featuring Mike Marlowe. The uh, the very first book, he's the guy whose stuff is stolen. They solve his mystery. It's the Tower Treasure. So, he lives in the Tower Mansion. And it's one of the only times. It's, I think, the only time that a character that's not one of their friends from a earlier book... Mm-hmm. Shows up and is a major player in the book. Not that he like does that much, right? But it's amazing. And then he talks about how uh, they returned his stamps to him, and I don't remember this. I this is my first time on. Right, first time on. Uh, but like, so I mean, oh yes, the stamps. No, they said once. The they said uh, once Frank and Joe had recovered a valuable stamp collection for him, and he had been their friend ever since. And I wrote, is that right? 
Is that what happened? Because these books are so disposable, I completely forgot. But I was I was not surprised that it was Kurt Applegate. I was surprised that it was anyone I had ever met before. So he, he comes out and uh, has a panic attack, basically, and collapses. Joe takes him back to the house. And what, does Frank just stay out there? I'll go back and investigate, Frank offered. You drive Mr. Applegate to our house in his car. He's chilled to the bone. Aunt Gertrude will look after him. I'll follow in our car as soon as I can. And so he just heads back. Uh, he goes, uh, Frank, I should say, goes back, looks around. Tries, tries the, the handle, handle of the door, right. And just stops. He just, there's no benefit to him being delayed. There's no surprise here. Oh, well, yeah, he doesn't Joe find out anything extra. Right. It's or literally, kidnapped or... This was one thing that I noticed a lot here is sometimes almost too much information was given to us, but not the right kind. Yeah. Like this, oh, and then they went back to get their car. And then they did this. Or yeah. they tossed their flashlights. They then went back for their flashlight. We didn't need that. We, we didn't need that. Yeah, and then there's things that you would really like to know more about that they just yeah. brushed right over. But they get home, and Aunt Gertrude has, I guess, just been fine with taking care of this guy. She knows him. Mm-hmm. Um, she knows his sister, Adelia, who was another character who was briefly in that book. It's right. like Dixon just refreshed his memory about what what the basics of these stories were and thought involving Herd Applegate was one of the things that people right. liked the most about the first book. You know what I'll do that... Marvel and DC will do, years from now, I'm going to build a connected Hardy Boy multiverse. Hardy Boy, oh god, a multiverse. It's I can't to... handle this single Hardyverse. Oh, it's going, to... it's going to be amazing. I really like that. So, yeah, so they get Mr. Applegate home, and then after a while, Gertrude's like, oh yeah, there's another guy here. Oh yeah, by the way, there's... There's a man who's been waiting for an hour and a half in the other room. Yeah. So they go in there, and it's Mr. Dalrymple, and they're like, how did you get here so fast? We saw you out at the house, and I love this line of his. I don't know what you mean. I didn't get here fast at all. I took my time. I always take my time, even in emergencies. You take your time in an emergency? Even in emergencies? It, I imagine I'm, you're the person with the broken bone, and he's the guy being like, all right, uh, I'll take you to the hospital. Hold on just a couple of minutes. Yeah. And you're like, minutes? I mean, just because I've been shot, that, that doesn't mean we need to be in any kind of panic. Applegate tells his story, which is just basically that Applegate's a dumbass. He... <laughs> A guy came to his house at night and was like, I want to take a look at all of your Jade collection um, to just because I might buy it. So he got it all out. And then he's like, what else do you have? And uh, he was like, I think I have a Jade chess set. So he, so he goes to his safe and he unlocks the safe and uh, comes back with it. I think that's what it is with the chess set. Uh-huh. Yeah. And the guy has stolen everything. Yep. And then he chases after him. And then another guy comes into the house and takes the chess set and everything out of the safe. Right. It, it was because almost... he left the safe open when he ran out of the house to chase the guy who stole all of his jade. And, like, it's jumping ahead to the end of the book, but there's an idea that the thieves knew he was going to run out of the house and not lock his door. Or his... Not, not lock anything back up. He wasn't going to be like, oh, close back. They knew. Yeah, like he'll be so mad. Off. He'll just chase right after us. I mean, they were right. I'm not going to say they weren't right. And it's like, I almost want to have sympathy for him because I've had an experience kind of like this when I worked retail Mm -hmm. in Chicago where I was selling a phone, disposable phone, to a nice couple. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, great. So can we go ahead and uh, look at one of the fancier ones, which we, of course, had locked up and back. So I'm like, "Uh, yeah, I'll be right back. I come back out, and the phone on the hook they had been looking at, only the tag is left, and it's swinging. Okay. And they're gone. (laughs) It's like, really? 
Yeah, really. but you didn't sprint after them and be like, hey, leaving the store unlocked and all your yeah. merchandise unattended. Well, not the first time. Not the first uh, time. <laughs> no, of course not. Um, yeah, so they, they agree that they're going to help solve everybody's problems. Um, and Applegate. No, they, that's not when Applegate attacks right. Dalrymple. That's a little bit later. Yeah. They somehow keep them separated. Mm-hmm. Then, let's see, they go down to the harbor, right? To check oh, out the harbor oh, thieves thing? Oh, but first, Did this I miss is... Something? So weird is uh, the banker being like, oh, I, I don't like this at all. A double who's a thief because of the person yeah. they saw that looked like him. This is a case for the police, Frank said, picking up a telephone. Do we have to drag my trouble into it? Mr. Dalrymple asked quickly. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we, is, have, yes we absolutely you've should. Been, you, there's trespassing. Yes. Your life has been threatened. There's a person pretending to be you. Yes. Uh, it's like I get that the Hardy Boys are the only people who catch crime in this town. Right. But, but yes. then. I, I, I got a couple of hints from Dalrymple that he would rather the police not look into him mm-hmm. at all. And that, like, don't worry about it, but let's um, go to... He went straight yeah. to a private eye. He didn't even try the cops. Right. And we've uh, had conversation on the podcast before, the you know secret underbelly. You know, yeah, the, exactly. The secret theory that it's actually Fenton. He knew to go to Fenton right yeah, away. Yeah, but Dalrymple is the... There's the money. Yeah. He's the one. He's the fencer. The thing is, he doesn't yeah. want the cops involved, and he doesn't yeah. think that they need to be involved. And he's right, because what are they going to do? It's Bayport. Yeah. Um, so they decide they're going to investigate down at the waterfront, and they're, they're nosing around, and they see a guy who they think is really suspicious. They run into some cops, I'm pretty sure. Maybe, like, yeah, cause John they, Yeah, because it's like, oh, they... Officer Callahan. Right, because their thought is, oh, the, the chess set was stolen? Well, boy, that show sounds like some... Local robberies we've been having down at the harbor. Right. Did, are, is there only ever one crime happening in Bayport at once? At once. Is it just like one criminal at a time decides, it's no, this, really is gonna, nice. this will be my time to shine. I'm going to take all of the jewels from all of the people at the same time. No one else gets to steal anything. Yeah, and there's no like small time crime. There's always like a syndicate doing one big crime thing. But there's doesn't, yeah, I guess, even when they were just stealing cars in one, it was like this complicated thing with a hidden lair right. and a submarine, I think. Yeah. Like, do we... Do we need can, all can, this? Yeah, can we just have, like, okay, maybe just one random thief, and then is it... No, it's the same. No, it kind of makes me think of, like, uh, all superhero movies where the stakes are always the end of the world. Of course. And so you yeah. can never connect with the story. Yeah, and, if, and if it was just, like, one guy trying to, like take over a company or, you know, whatever, like, launch his rocket into space or whatever the mm-hmm. one small thing is. Yeah. This is one of those places where I recognize just how this was probably marketed towards young children and mm-hmm. the comprehension of justice, uh, like, especially what people often joke about with Batman. Mm-hmm. He doesn't kill, apart from traumatic brain injury, but let's leave that right, right. for now. Uh, so my favorite, as they are looking over the harbor, the smelling the sea, salt water. Joe sniffed appreciatively. Boy, where are those harbor thieves? I'm ready for them. Yes, but are they ready for you? Frank said with a chuckle. You know the one I like to get my hands on? His brother added in high spirits. The guy that almost ran us down yesterday. Yes, what would you do to him? Joe considered his choice of punishment carefully. Get him behind bars, he declared. I wrote, good restraint, Joe. Good good restraint. Okay. Like, Aunt Gertrude says things like, jail's not good enough for the likes of him, and he ought to be horsewhipped. When a superhero, and, you know, Batman is already the best comparison sure. here because they keep coming up with gadgets. Uh, when Batman is like, no, I can't kill him. I can only put him in jail because that would cross my moral line. There's this, there's a sense of, yes, the stakes are there, but right. 
he's intentionally restraining himself. He doesn't want to become the villain. Right. This is just, I'm in a kid's book. <laughs> Get him behind bars. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I thought it was pretty a pretty aw shucks moment. Yeah. But they find this fugitive, and they think it's the guy who tried <laughs> to run him down. All four piled into the fugitive at once. Everybody went down. Arms and legs thrashed. Callahan got up first, dragging the laborer, wild-eyed and breathless, to his feet. Now, growled the officer. Talk, you! Where is it? T-t-t-talk? Stammered the man in confusion. What's that in your back pocket? Frank demanded. Why were you running away? Joe asked tersely. With a look of intense discomfort and dismay on his face, the man reached gingerly behind him. As Frank and Joe and the two policemen watched eagerly, he brought out a brown paper bag, sodden and squishy. I I promised to call my wife long distance at 7 o'clock and had forgotten. I was having a late supper, so I just put the rest of the food in my back pocket. He explained dolefully. Three big ripe pears. Sat down on it. Please, fellas, let me off. I gotta change my pants. <laughs> in complete disgust, Officer Callahan waved the man away. <laughs> I, why are you disgusted with him? You got... Well, it's not I... even disgust. It's... Okay, so this guy... <laughs> he leapt ten feet from the deck to the pier and dashed... Towards the warehouses, not... Because he yeah. said he would call his wife by seven. Yeah. Not a case of, oh, it's almost done. Guys, I gotta go down the ladder for a minute. I'll be right back. I'll be right back. No, he, he like, Superman, he Superman dives off the pier. the dock. With three big right pairs. It, how big is this guy's pockets? I know. How big is his pockets? I'm trying to imagine any and pants I've ever worn. Why did his wife pack him three pairs for lunch? Like, that seems mean. If I got to work and my wife had packed me lunch, oh. I would have was three pairs. Oh, you know what? I think I figured it out. If, because if he had uh, remembered to call her last time at before it seven, it would have been a real lunch. It would have been a real lunch. This is not why just, he's running. Oh, no. He hates Tomo- pairs. The tomorrow texture, which, the taste, all of it. Tomorrow was just going to be two grapes now. Oh, God. Fellas, you got to help me. Well, uh, better go change your pants. Yeah. Uh, I also like that, too, that he, like, because I think that part of it was the mess from the pairs, and part of it was being, like, tackled by a bunch of people and the cops and <laughs> not knowing if you're going to get your green yeah. card taken away by and four, all that. By four different people at once, I can only, like, gotta arms go and legs pants. thrashing. What is this guy thrashing at? I, what is this guy thrashing at? Yeah, why is he fighting? Yeah, that's another thing is that he resisted arrest. Or not arrest, but I guess being tackled. Yeah. <laughs> I'd probably resist too. Yeah. Uh, they go check out the sleuth. They're going to see if they can, you know, go out in the water and do some... Uh, and they find out that the sleuth has still been used. Is it because it's... Oh, it's out of gas. It's out of gas and... Uh, they start talking yeah. about how, like, maybe one of our friends took it and just didn't put gas in it. I don't let yeah. your friends use your right. speedboat. Yeah, because Joe puts his hand on the uh, hood. Yeah, yeah, proud of the craft, put his hand affectionately on the big motor, like what you do in any James Bond movie when you reveal the new car. Right. Ooh, my new car. Quick as a flash, he withdrew it. Hot! He exclaimed. Frank, somebody was using the sleuth not long ago. Yeah, and they think, but I don't, I'm still stuck on the fact that they let all their friends use their boat. Yeah, that's such a. It's like it okay. comes, it, and it yeah. comes up really shortly too. That yeah. their relationship with their friends is weird, is too weirdly uh, open. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think this is one of those cases where, you know, if you've got the rich friend, uh, the rich friend may be like, "Oh yes, come by my house anytime and use one of my Rolls Royces." Use sure, like yes. or like yeah. If you guys want to use the hot tub, feel free. But you know that like every time they get home and everybody's there at the hot tub, they're like. Oh, Frank goes to talk to the cops about the fact that the sleuth has been used. And Joe hangs out. When they get back, Joe and the sleuth are gone. 
Yes, absolutely. Uh, and Joe has chased... Somebody is in Tony Prito's boat, the Napoli. Mm-hmm. And he's like, those guys aren't Tony Prito or Tony Prito's dad who owns the construction company in town. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only thing I know about Tony's family. And they're Italian. So they get in... So Joe gets in the boat and, boat and they chase after the Napoli. And the bad guys accidentally wreck the boat. Oh, good. And scuttle yeah. it. Yeah, they don't know what they're doing. Yeah, they... Oh, poor... They didn't ever wreck the sleuth. Of course they wrecked somebody they, else. Yeah, they had boat. to... Yeah, because, you know, good Lord knows you wouldn't want to wreck the sleuth trademark. So, they have to, they, the boys, the police are like, well, we better call the Pritos and let them know what happened to their boat. And the boys are like, can we do it? Yeah, and this is another one of those cases where I'm like, there is too much information here. You Right. Because now we dedicate two chapters just to bringing the boat back up, getting it out of the waterlogged state that it's sure. in. Sure. And there's some high yeah. stakes moments. Joe it, does yeah. a really stupid yeah. thing. In any other... In any other book, this would have been, we'll tell you later when the boat comes back. Great. And then move on. But No, in this one, they go. They do, they do a whole day of salvage where they go out to get this boat. Joe shows them where it crashed. And they're like, well, it's like 12, 15 feet down. We're going to have to get some divers out here and we'll tow it out. And Joe's like, let me just do it. And they're like, no, we're not going to. No, Joe. As Joe's taking off all of his clothes and getting down to his tiny yeah, lining. No, Joe, Joe, they, they have... Police, this isn't solving a case. Yeah, and he's like, no, I've done a lot of skin diving. All right, I'll be right back. And, and then he dives off and, the ship. And he's gone. Okay, and, okay, and he gets down uh, under there, and he, he swims right down. And immediately, he's like, I can feel the pressure crushing, you know, his ears and his chest. And you're like, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's what happens what that's... when you go beneath the water. That, that, that happens. And he can't find a good place to hook the line. He's supposed to, to thread this uh, tow rope through something, like a, a metal loop, let's say, and then hook it to itself and then swim back up. But he's like, I'm going to swim under the, the control console of the steering console of the, and try to hook it to something underneath there and gets wrapped up in it and it pulls taut and all of a sudden he's 12 feet underwater struggling to breathe because mm-hmm. he's a dummy. Yeah, so now the tension of this chapter is, oh no, he's caught underneath. What's going to happen? What could save him? Frank. Next page. Yeah, exactly. Frank just strips down all of his clothes. Doesn't jump in with his clothes on. He knows he, better. He's bet. He knows better. Right. And so he strips down to his tidy whities and jumps into the into the and swims down. Has plenty of time to free Joe. And then this is what ticks me off. He sees a metal loop on the edge of the on the boat. It's clearly it's just a like what you it's the loop that you use to tie your boat to the dock. Yeah, Mr. Dixon, could you have given us more than? A page of tension. Of tension, no. A page. He doesn't want you to get too worried. But then, so Frank's just like, oh, I'll just do it here. Which, I don't understand how Joe didn't see that obvious place to attach it, just for the sake of tension. Anyway. Yeah, this is one of those where, again, going back to, you know, second verse, same as the first, like Batman. Yeah. This is a case where you've got Batman and Robin. Right. And so Robin is the impetuous one running into danger. I'll do it, Batman. But in this case, it's brothers a year apart. A year apart. Who... literally have no other defining feature other than, yay mystery, I'm impetuous, I have more experience. Right, and but Frank totally saves the day. Yep. Um, Tony's boat, they tell him that it can be repaired, but it's going to take a long time. Oh, and by the way, Tony, after Tony. this chapter, Napoli never comes up again. Nope, Tony doesn't come back, none of the other kids do. This is literally just to say, oh, by the way, Frank is a really good swimmer. That's not going to matter later in this book. No, they don't go swimming again. He's a really good swimmer. But they, yeah, I'm, I'm really glad their boat was fine. That's mm-hmm. good for everybody. Let's see. So they go back to the Purdy Mansion again. Mm-hmm. 
want to check oh, for footprints. Yeah, they look for footprints. They don't really find anything. I don't think they find anything there. Mm-hmm. But then they go home, and this was another weird thing with loaning everybody the boat. They get home, and everyone is at their house. Mm-hmm. They go into their garage, and they can hear, like, wrestling upstairs. Mm-hmm. And they go, and it's the weirdest scene in the world. What's going on, Joe exclaimed. The brothers rushed upstairs. The door of the Hardy's laboratory opened on the spectacle of Jerry Gilroy rolling about on the floor. Chet Morton seemed about to step on Jerry with his whole weight. Tony Preto and Biff Hooper were howling with delight, and Phil Cohen was photographing the scene with one of Joe's cameras. Strong stomach muscles, you say, Chet roared. Hold still, I'll test him for you. No, no, pleaded Jerry. Not that, they're weak. I give in. Phil Cohen was the first to notice the newcomers. And then Phil goes into this whole, like, welcome to the Hardy Boys. He does this whole, like, Edwardian sort of intrigue mm-hmm. for them. It just goes on and on. Yeah, it feels like this is, again, trying to tie into something, like, in any other bit of fiction, where it's like, oh, you know, these are great heroes, but they have to give up their social life. They they have to give up something in order to solve. No, they're just... Why are all these people at having fun Frank's with? house and Frank and Joe's house? Inside, yeah. Yeah, they're inside their house, upstairs, in their crime lab. Yeah, which is different from Fenton Hardy's. Fenton, which is next door. Yeah, very yeah. different. Very important. They can't share a crime lab. And I just, Well, Fenton's like, yeah, because you have like eight teenage boys wrestling in there. Yeah, I'm not going to let you into the actual crime lab stuff. No, that's and, okay. And I just love this line. Just, it, this line probably has nothing to do with anything. But okay, yeah. After like the talk about people. how the party scene was just to reestablish... Uh, that, no, the boys are popular. They have dates. Iola mm-hmm. uh, says she and Callie don't know what it was all about, but she, it had better be mighty important. Joe looked noncommittal. <laughs> well, you can tell her that it was. I, I just love that word choice. And then Chet has this radical, radical change in, in attitudes about mm-hmm. mysteries. Yep. And I, I almost related to it. Chet says, well, what mystery are you on? And they're like, yeah, you wouldn't be interested. He's like, just... Just tell us what mystery you're on. Mm-hmm. And, uh, no, and they're like, no, you don't need to know. And now he's a little pissed. Yeah. Because, you know, he saved their life many times. Uh-huh. He's been in life or death situations with oh, them. Yeah. And they're like, you, we thought you weren't into any mysteries anymore, Chet. Mm-hmm. And I like that they that he gives up, but then he follows them. Yeah, He absolutely. tries to follow them out to the mansion. And it's all going pretty well. Well, actually, no, it isn't. Yeah, no, they, they immediately they notice know it, him. They know it's him. They hide yeah. and watch him trying to follow them. Yeah. And then he gets spooked by somebody behind him, lets out a big yeah. scream. Yeah. Eek! Help! Yes. The guy, the boys, you know, take off after them. The guy runs towards the river. They're chasing after him. And they realize it's that guy who tried to run them down with the limousine. Right. Who apparently... Uh, is that may, is that Dalrymple's it, double? I, th- I think it's supposed to be Dalrymple's double. Because they don't connect those two characters I, to being I, the same character. I think it's supposed to be. Because okay. they, they do occasionally mention, oh, these footprints were made by a heavyset man. Right. Would that have been Dalrymple's double, the limousine driver? Anyway, all right, well, let's check in with the uh, yes. with our bingo one more time. Uh, we have not had, uh, we've only had Tone, Phil or Tony. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. No, we wouldn't count the boys playing as trespassing. Uh, I mean, they. I, well, I don't know. Maybe Aunt Gertrude let them in. Yeah. Uh, did they get pie yet? No, they only had chocolate point, cake. Okay, at some point they, they get a big old cake. slice of pie, I'm pretty sure. I got nothing here. Um, yeah, they haven't been tied up yet. Yeah. All right, well, I'm uh, 
I'm not doing so great in this yeah. one. Oh, this is interesting. Yeah. When the Napoli was stolen and Joe was following him, he saw some people jump off of a ship in the harbor mm-hmm. onto the Napoli with the like right. with like bags of loot. I imagine mm-hmm. um, he knew they were up to no good. Probably with the convenient loot yeah. written on them, loot like written the old money bags. With yeah, or like a, a black and white diamond. Mm-hmm. Um, so they go to talk to the person who's been uh, the captain of the ship, who apparently mm-hmm. has been robbed. Yep. Of Priceless Jade. Yeah, Captain Strowman. Captain Strowman. Strowman. And he said that he had reported um, the st- the theft to an insurance person, and they had, they had hired a private detective. That yeah, I'm showing for those of you who yeah. can't see it. We're both showing each other our notes. We, we wrote both, Fenton we in exactly Fenton the same Hardy. place because at yeah. this point you're just jonesing for some Fenton yeah. Hardy. Oh, and you gotta remember before this, the second they start asking about the Jade, instead of the captain being like. Why are you interested in the Jade? His thought is, you're interested in the Jade? He must be the thieves. I'm calling the police. Right. Yeah, and he says, like, I saw, you know, some some boys in a boat like yours just the other night. And so, yeah, he calls the police, and uh, and Chief Colleague has to basically be like, oh, my God, no. Those are the Hardy Boys. Believe me, they are not the crooks. They will catch the crooks, and I will get a healthy bonus this year. You don't know the Hardy Boys. You've not been here that long. Yeah, what are you, out in the harbor? Come into town 24 hours. You'll meet them. They'll save your life. It'll be a great time. But no, I I think it's great that Chief College is willing to always back up the boys, because it would be really funny if one time someone called, and he was like, doesn't ring a bell. And just, <laughs> just just the one time. Just the one time. Just the one time. He's like, I wonder how they'll get out of this one. It's not Hardy crazy. boys in the case of the sassy cups. <laughs> so they decide to, oh, well, geez, if we're going to get some clues about where this jade is, we need to find places where you would sell the jade. So they go to a shady-ass antique dealer. I like the... But by the name of Mr. Swartz. Mr. Which Swartz. For, for any... Yep, that's exactly what I wrote. I, ber- I hope that this is pronounced Schwartz because it'll give me a few giggles that book itself has not been giving me yet. Oh, I know. I like, a few giggles. But I like how they, they know exactly what guy in town buys stolen goods. Yeah. I think, why don't the cops bust this guy? But the Hardys haven't given him up, apparently, because he's such a good resource for finding stolen goods. Yeah. But he didn't buy this stuff because it was too oh, expensive. No. Yeah, needed money, he said. So, am I supposed to overpay him out of charity? No, you're supposed to hold the merchandise, tell him you're going to check on something, go into the back and call the police. Yeah, absolutely. Also, like, you don't know Herd Applegate's famous jade chess set? Yeah. That seems like something in town that an antique dealer would know about. Yeah, that, that, he probably would have been the one to sell it. So, they, but he says that, oh, but the guy, if you know the guy who left these, who tried to, he left these keys here and he gives them to the boys. Okay, so, all over this book, I keep wanting to say, deus ex machina, no, you know what? I'm just going to give up. Yeah, exactly. I'm just give up. They are all they are blessed. They take the key back to their lab. Mm-hmm. And then they go into Fenton's lab, which is adjoining to their own lab. Ooh. And they look into his Okay. Oh, and but don't forget we have the private detective. Oh, right, when we they get the home, detective. they're about to check out their keys and they get home and there's been a private detective at and the this, house. And that's when you know it's not Fenton. And this is where I have so many notes written here okay over the, over, the, over the course of this book my notes slowly go from haha that's delightful haha 1920s to oh my god get on with it yeah or you you can see the sass come and the snark coming out oh of yeah mine just becomes just devolves into swear yeah. words yeah my favorite a young man stood here and said his name was mr smith mr, mr. Smith. smith joe hooted how phony can you get a lot of people are named smith guys have have you met your author yeah. Have you met the guy who read, who writes your books? Right. That's phony? 
Yeah, that's phoning. Is that is the name <laughs> Smith? Private Eye. Joe repeated indignantly. He's been reading too many corny detective stories. My note, as compared to a world famous detective. Yeah. Fenton Hardy. No, nothing corny about that. Yeah, yeah, guys. If you're going to sass the writing material, at least give us something else to. It's talk like about. in in one of the I think the most recent X Men movie. They're like the third movie is always the worst, and I was like, yeah, if this wasn't the worst, that'd be a funny joke. Yeah, uh, but like you're talking about your own movie. Yeah, like guys, you self referential humor. Leave, leave that to the people who are doing the who can do it well. Please, yeah, please. No, the and then he wore a nice suit, a gray fedora hat, and he had a little toothbrush mustache. So you know he's no good. Yeah, was it false? Joe queried. I don't know. Is they're on snapped? Her energetic self again. I didn't study him through a magnifying glass. Why? Why would she know? I don't know. She's not, the, she's not the detective. Why would she know? She is giving them a little bit of useful information. Yeah. Um, so they take these keys. I just, I yes. really love that they take the keys right. up to the lab where Fenton has a library of photos of every single type of key. In Fenton Hardy's laboratory next to the boys, he kept a photograph file of ignition keys for all automobiles of domestic and foreign manufacture. Frank and Joe went to compare these to the keys dropped by Mr. Dalrymple's mysterious double at Schwartz's shop. Start with the American makes, Frank proposed, and take this year's model first. It's crazy that he has this, but they find it very quickly, and it's called the Meteor Special. This is literally where all of the references come out. Yeah, you know what? This is just Batman now. Yeah, this is just Batman. Driving Wait, the Meteor down, Special. Down, down to the Batcave. Bat we'll use the Bat computer's ability to read every single key that has ever been made of every single manufacturer. Ding, we have a match, Batman. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Sorry for the interruption. I just wanted to let everybody know that Kristen Hallstrom, who does our graphic design and is also my wife, has a great new web series up called Murder She Joked. You can find it on YouTube. Murder She Joked is a hilarious overview of the fashion, plot mistakes, and overall ridiculous nature of the show Murder She Wrote. If you like the Hardy Boys drink book, I guarantee you will like Murder, She Joked. Just look on YouTube for Murder, She Joked. The first episode, Birds of a Feather Part 1, is up now. Thanks. Let's get back to the show. They investigate every single person who knows a, who owns a Meteor Special. And we have to be in excruciating detail with the first pair. Yeah, and then the rest are just... Excruciating. They're just these very old people who are kind of silly... And he's like, sir, you must own this Meteor Special. And he's like, I don't drive automobiles. I drove a team of horses and did harness racing. And his wife says, I drive the car. Rides nice, and it's fast. I love a speedy car. Frank and Joe were amused by the couple, but did not smile. Why? Why? But they just, and it must, that would creep those people out. They're being friendly yeah. and like jokey, and there's these two teenage boys just stone faced, like. Mm-mm. And after asking, the, and after asking the question, "How do you like your meteor special?" Because when I think of, "Oh, well, I'm going to pretend to be buying this car," so how do you like it? Yeah, yeah. And stone obviously, the audience can't see my face here, but, but like, you're yeah. smiling, yeah. yeah, yeah. Not, how do you like your meteor special? Anyway, so they sorry. they they don't they check out the rest of the people. They don't find anyone, and they're like, "Wait a second. What if he's from out of town? What if he's not from here? What if the crook doesn't actively live in Bayport and didn't register the car in the city? That's limits? impossible. It's impossible. It's huh? impossible. And this is where uh, Chet joins back up. Oh, that's right. They, Chet, yeah. they go driving around investigating, and Chet can't help. He really wants to stop at a milk bar. Yeah. And we keep uh, having to glance over it because we have to keep the story moving. Yeah. But in between talking to the old people and moving on to meet with Chet... 
the young detectives were forced to go to bed and their question unanswered. That happens at least five or six times in this book. Yeah, they go. They make the mistake of coming home, and Aunt Gertrude like won't let them leave. Stops them. Stops the mystery. Yeah. Makes them eat dinner. Makes them go to sleep. Makes them cut the lawn. Like, yeah, it's yeah. she's a jerk. Yeah. So if it sounds like we're grazing over a bunch of stuff, trust me, for your benefit, listeners, we are. Yeah, there's a lot of like hard emergency brakes yeah. pulled on the story to and, just sort of slow yeah. it down. And this is the part of the book where. If I didn't before, I began to love Chet so much. Yes. His turn towards detective. Uh, at one point, you know, the boys tell him all the stuff that's happening to Harbor Thieves, Mr. Dalrymple's mystery of the secret room and the notes and the Jade articles. And Chet says, wow, I can hardly keep them all straight. Yeah, you and me both, Chet. Yeah. You and me both, man. He's like, there's, there's a lot of mysteries going on. Yeah. And Chet declares, without being asked to, he swears an oath to follow this mystery through. Count on me! Raising his right hand and placing his left over his heart, Chet declaimed, Let it never be said that Chet Morton forsook his companions in the hour of distress. Let the thieves do their worst. Chet Morton defies them. Chet, I love you. I, I love want, you so much. I want everyone at home who's listening to raise your right hand and put your left hand over your heart and realize how silly you look. With that as your yeah, position. Absolutely. You should do it the other way yeah, around. Yeah, the other way around. No, no, this this is the detective's code. Charles, this is why we can't be detectives. We just don't understand. It sort of makes you look a little teapot. Yeah, this is why we can't this is why we can't be real detectives. There was this part earlier in the book where they made a joke about Chet joining them. Okay, Detective Chet Morton. You know what? I want to read that book. Detective Chet. Yeah, yeah, Detective Chet. I want to read that book. Can you bring it back onto the podcast when it's Detective Chet Morton featuring the Hardy Boys? Right. He's become everybody's yeah. fan favorite. But the uh, he makes them stop the mystery. He pulls an yeah. emergency break on the mystery. Because he sees a milk bar. Yeah. Oh, oh, and the, way, the, and the way he describes it. The way he describes okay. it. Okay. Okay, I got to read this. Uh, Suddenly, both Hardys noticed that Chet's attention had been diverted. He stared longingly ahead. What's so interesting? Joe asked. Don't pass it. Pleaded Chet. Pass what? That milk bar up there! They serve a terrific sundae covered with whipped cream, cherries, and nuts. It's called a Bigloo Igloo. Come on, fellows. It's lunchtime. Okay, Frank laughed. It's like, oh, does he see something? Is that a meteor? Is he seeing the meteor? And no. No, it's no. this diner it's I go to a lot of it's times. He orders four sundaes, and the waitress very judgmentally says, There are only three of you, sir. Four Sundays, miss, Chet repeated grandly. Never fear, we shall dispose of them. You, dude has a problem. You yeah. will, you it, will dispose It was at this point where I realized I didn't know much about the Hardy Boys before this. Right. I only knew their, like, the derivatives, everything that has parodied them. And I realized, oh, this is what Shaggy is based on from yeah, Scooby-Doo. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked about that before. Yeah. He's got a lot, he's a cowardly. Yeah, cowardly. He eats a lot. Hungry. But then that also triggered a second thought, which is, wait a second. In every episode of Scooby-Doo, when the gang splits up into Scooby and Shaggy, Velma, Freddy, and Daphne, yeah. which of those two pairs is the more interesting to follow? Right. It's always it's Shaggy, Shaggy and Scooby. Shaggy. Yeah. And I don't know if Biff is, you know, quite the same as Scooby. Yeah. But I would watch, like, I would read a series called, like, Chet and the Queen. And, like, maybe Chet's Queen could get an upgrade and it could be, like, Knight Rider and Mr. Ooh. Feeny could be the voice of the Queen. Yes. Maybe not Mr. Feeny, maybe yes. a woman because it's the Queen. Yes. But, you know, something like that. Mr. Feeny with a very high... high yeah, with modulated, with modulated voice. voice. Yes. <laughs> now, despite the fact that Chet seems to or have 
completely sidelined the mystery. Oh, right. When they get there, it turns out this was a lucky break. They're, oh, yeah, because they overhear somebody say the clock, uh, death while the clock ticks, right? It will happen while the clock ticks, which is still... Anytime. The stupidest way to describe something. Like, if you were trying to give directions of, uh, okay, so we're meeting for dinner at what time? While, while the, the clock, clock ticks. ticks. I'm I'm not gonna be able to make it to dinner. Yeah, I don't want to come. Yeah, and they anyway they go to chase after this random person who said a random thing, and they trip a waitress, and Chet gets two Sundays dumped on him, and then I guess spends the rest of the I day do. just running around streets. I hope street. so. For me, kind this was honestly of the, warm dairy. for me this was the most exciting point up until this point in the book because it was like. Oh, something weird happened. Something that wasn't just, gee, we see him. We're going to chase after with nothing happening. Oh, he ran out of way. Yeah. 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 No, there's actual consequences here of, oh, no, we tripped a waitress. Yeah. And that, yeah, yeah that's, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> and check gets doused. Yeah. The, but Frank and Joe are absolutely fine. Oh, they're Because perfect. the other Sundays land on the floor. Yeah. Yes, of course. Just check. Yes. Just check. And they duck down into Willow River Road okay. near the Purdy Mansion. Now then they go see Applegate. First, so they went and saw Dalrymple, and Dalrymple was like, I don't know anything new. Then they go out of Sundays, and then they go see Applegate, and he doesn't really know anything new either. I don't know why they went back to those guys. Yeah, they just want to get more information, figure something out, and because they need the the plot to progress, because as they're talking to Mr. Applegate... Oh, right. They see the double. Yeah, they see somebody in the yard is listening to us, Frank whispered. And with that, he raced through the house towards the rear door, and we have a foot chase. Oh, right. But they don't catch him. That's what it is. Because They right. just have no luck. Because the eavesdropper's tan sports jacket flat behind him, he scaled the iron picket fence with the agility of a monkey. With a monkey. And dropped to a roadway below. But then, yeah, when they're chasing him, they see this guy, he ducks behind a corner, and then they go around the corner, and there's another guy there, and they're like, did you see a guy run by? And he's like, nope. Or, yeah, he went that way. And they chase that way. And then they, after they've been running a long time, they're like, I... I think that guy lied to us. That guy might have lied to us. But, no, that but, guy was the guy. Yeah. yeah I don't... If, yeah. If you I knew it. They even knew a it. single... A single episode of Looney Tunes, you know exactly. Yeah, that, that Bugs Bunny put on a wig. Yeah. And was like, he went that way. Yeah. So they head back. They go to police headquarters, which they do a lot. Sure. In this book, because... But first they have an opportunity to... They see the double on the street. Yes. And they immediately just walk up to yeah. him and they're like, hey! Yeah, because they think it's Mr. Darnripple. Yeah. They just accuse him immediately of being involved in this in this ring. He could be somebody else, but I think I love their boldness yes. of their accusation. Yes. You're the man who stole her to Applegate's Jade, Joe fearlessly accused him. What Jade? I don't know what you're talking about. I never saw you before. You watch your tongue? I could sue you. Shoving past the boys, he darted around the pedestrians and threw himself into the front seat of a black car parked at the curb. Very chill. Yeah. Very chill. <laughs> it's it's along the lines of like Tweeting, do something in all yeah. capitals. <laughs> and then it's like, well, why are we going after him? Yeah, they, the boys talk. Why know. did we let him go? Joe stormed. Well, we could be wrong, Frank told his brother. Anyway, I got the license number. We'll give it to Chief Colleague. Tur- it turns out that I think that that car was stolen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they call the guy. And I called him Liar Lyerson. And he's like, I was just about to report that car was stolen. Yeah. And they're like, where well, where was it parked? And he's like, in my driveway. On the street. It was parked on the street. Yeah. Oh, and even even before this, even before this <laughs> note that I took. So Frank and Joe, like, they got the number, so they're going to give it to the police. In this description here, immediately, 
The resources of a modern police department were brought into play. The strange car was found to be registered in the name of James Black of Bayport. Modern yeah, police very. resources? You, you mean a phone call? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mean very modern. You mean a phone When I've, questioned on the telephone, Mr. Black said he was about to call the police himself to report that his car had been stolen. So I'm going to be totally honest. I've read this book over a few days. Yeah. And by the time I got to the end, I completely forgot that Mr. Black was a character. Yeah, so did I. I he, he just shows up to lie a lot and stammer and not make eye contact. Yeah. And they're like, I, but if your stole, car was stolen last night, what time did you get up? He's like, seven. And they're like, and you, we called you at 1030 and you hadn't noticed your car was stolen. He's like, I just, I just, I just noticed it was gone. I don't know. Yeah, it, it took you three like hours three, to report. Three hours to report that your car was stolen? Yeah, and then he says, you know, you don't have anything on me. I don't have a record. You can't hold me without charges. And they're like, well, we thought you came down to file a complaint about your stolen car. What do you mean charges? And he's like, oh, I'm going to go. <laughs> and then again, in order to try to justify why there's nothing going on here, that guy might be on the level, declared Joe. Joe. But he sure doesn't give me that impression. Chief Colleague nodded agreement. We'll watch him, he promised. Best way to catch a crook is to make him believe you've decided he's innocent. Why would this guy stick around? I know, just leave Why town. would this... I have written so many times in this book when they're like, Oh no, don't worry, the bad guys will be back for sure. Why would they come back? <laughs> they go and, home, and again, Aunt Gertrude throws... Just pulls a huge emergency break and is like, The weeds need done. The lawn needs trimmed, and she gives them this whole list of chores, and is like, and you're not going anywhere until all this is done, knowing that there's, like, a crime syndicate out there. And again, it's like, this happens, and you think that, oh, man, that means it's going to stop. That is a two-sentence inconvenience. Yeah, and then they're back on the trail. Two-sentence. Didn't matter at all. It is both the most annoying thing, but also the least annoying thing. It just pulls the momentum. That's all it does. It serves no point. Right. At one point at the podcast, you talked about how these have been rewritten yes. uh, partially to respect authority figures. To Yeah, they go to church. Yeah. Like, at some point, was there a censor who's like, you know what? I don't think these boys are doing enough responsibility around the house. I right. I haven't seen them do one chore. I haven't seen them do one thing. So perhaps this is the book where we're going to put all of the chores. What if we have a chapter that's just ironing? Not a chapter... What about a sentence that's iron? What about a sentence? That, that will be just enough to pass the McCarthy right. board. I don't know if it was the McCarthy board. I, uh, yeah, exactly. They're yeah. like, these boys seem like communists. They're not doing any They're chores. They're not doing any of their chores. And then one of them, they're like, these boys are doing a lot of chores. They seem fairly communist. They're, gi- they're giving way too many chores here, and they're not getting paid for it like a capitalist should. Right. I, yeah, the amount of times they do things pro bono, I don't think it's all right. So then they decide to head... Repeat after me, everybody. Back to the pa- the Purdy Mansion. Okay, yeah. Repeat after me, that sentence. But repeat <laughs> after me, back to the Purdy Mansion. Again and again. This time they find people out there. Like they're sneaking around the cellar. Yeah. They decide to go right into the cellar. Yeah, and every time. Because a few chapters back, Mr. Darwimple told them he would give them a spare set of keys to get in. Oh, yeah. And he keeps forgetting. He keeps forgetting to give Which, them the key. again, is like... In any other mystery, that would be a good indication that something is not on the level. Like, maybe he's not the main bad guy, but maybe something's up. No, he's just completely forgetting. He just forgets. Every single time. Uh, yeah, so they're sneaking around this uh, this house, and they hear that the crooks are in there. And they decide to just scare the crooks real bad. So they just stomp their feet and crash a bunch of stuff and make a lot of noise. And it does work. The crooks are like, oh, it's a raid. They run immediately, which... They scatter yeah. out of the house. Everybody chases... But weirdly, Frank and Joe run out to chase them and are immediately clobbered 
tied up and drug onto a boat. Yeah, the men are still here, said Frank tensely. I... He never finished the sentence. The brothers were grabbed from behind by powerful arms and knocked to the ground. Their flashlights flew from their hands. I hate how much they bring up the flashlights. Yeah. I have never hated a non-sentient piece of metal that gives us light as much as I hate these flashlights. Yeah, they get constantly knocked from their hands. Knocked from their hands, and the time has to be taken to get the flashlights. To go and collect their flashlights again and make sure that they work. flashlights so much. Yeah. I, I don't I wish they had the squeeze flashlights that made a lot of noise. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> now I can see. Yep. And again, this is oh, things almost get dangerous here. Things for a minute, dangerous. for like a single minute, they're tied up. They're laying in an inch of water on the on the floor of the speedboat. They're bound. They're gagged. They're fervently hoping that Chet wasn't captured, because at the end them. of the, at the end of the last chapter, the bad guys start talking to each other. What do we do with him? muttered the tall man, crouching down. Frank and Joe waited with pounding hearts for the reply. It came, dump him overboard. Oh no, they're going to be bound. Uh, oh, he says no, he's going to weigh him down with the anchor. And, yeah. and then the other guy's like, no, I mean, kidnapping is a federal crime already. I don't, I don't want to kill them. And again, <laughs> it's not as though this is a heart-pounding conversation that you were having where it's like any moment they could be dead because it's happening specifically at long intervals. They would argue yeah. about toffing him as though it's like, we should do it. We're not going to do it. Drive for a few minutes. No, but seriously, we should do it. We're not going to do it. Wait a few minutes. That's what we're having. Very fantastic. We should do it. No, we're not going to do it. Yeah. And it just keeps going. So they're in a speedboat, right? It, I think so. I think they're cruising up the river in a speedboat. And so I'm imagining that they're having this conversation like, just tie him up and throw him overboard. <laughs> I'm not going to throw him overboard. No, are you kidding? Kidnapping's already a felony. Why do you care? We're thieves. <laughs> yeah, we're thieves. We're already going to go to jail for this. But the reason it made the le- that made the least sense to me is that eventually they're wriggling and trying to get out of their ropes. And Joe manages to get his gag free and just screams, help. Help! Quick! And then all along the harbor, all of these police spotlights fire up. And all the police boats come out. And uh, Chet's with the cops. And, uh, yeah, and shows up on the boat. And Chet's like, you're here, you're safe. But it's this crazy thing where I'm like, how did they hear Joe? Over the pounding of a motorboat. So And the water. Maybe they were going slow enough to not be detected. Which is, I guess, in the dark. But I love that it's just Joe saying... Help! And then all of these floodlights come on. Yeah, and eventually the only reason the thieves actually slow down is because they hear uh, the police firing off machine gun rattle. Oh, that's right. In the background, it's like, oh, no, never mind. We actually almost had an exciting scene there. Yeah, they like throttled down. We almost had an exciting scene. That means that the police opened fire with machine guns on a boat that they knew the Hardy Boys were on. And it's not the first time they've done that. You know, I... I wonder if one of the cops actually knows that Fenton is the ringleader. Oh, yeah. And it's just this very subtle hint of, like, this, like, behind-the-scenes Moriarty Sherlock thing happening. I don't know. Um, so they are all rescued. After a bracing cup of hot broth at the substation, Frank, Joe, and Chet left for Bayport in Chet's car. At police headquarters, they found Chief Colleague and the officers with him, thwarted by the thug's refusal to admit anything. We don't know nothing about any waterfront robberies, Sid snarled. You got evidence? You can't touch us without evidence. We'll charge you with kidnapping, snapped Chief Colleague. That'll do for a start. Yeah, no crap. What What do you mean we got nothing on you? Well, we'll charge you with kidnapping. Oh, that's right. We just kidnapped some kids. Yeah. Uh, and then they they give up a little bit. Yeah, right? that's still not what. That's still not going to give them what they want to know. 
So instead, they're like, oh, you know what? Why don't we head back to the per- back, back to, to the, the Purdy, Purdy place. place? Yeah. And then he says, Tomlin, take a prowl car and go with the boys. So I like that term, a prowl car. The prowl car. When they get back to Purdy, they're sneaking around and they find one of my favorite things, other than a secret passageway, a secret road. It's a road that's been all covered up with brush. Right. I I don't get that. I'm having so much trouble trying to picture this area because, again... It's so thickly wooded. This is one one of those places where, again, not enough information is being given... Where would be really helpful, like describing the area? Yeah, like so, what the environment around it. But they're just right. wandering around and right. find a big pile of brush. They clear it aside, find a road. I can only imagine it's like one of those things that uh, sometimes drug cartels will use to hide uh, their fields from like the Air Force. Okay. Like those camouflage things yeah. that are over the top. That if you're too far away from it, or sure. like a sniper's ghillie suit. Well, in an earlier one, we had a hidden runway for an airplane that was like photo re- so photorealistic that they couldn't tell from like three feet away that it was fake. It was Wiley Coyote stuff. Right. What they find in this hidden, at the end of the hidden road, they find this like basically a barn, right? It's full of hay, and inside it is the meteor special. Oh, but first they have to pull aside the hay because it's again a hidden passage. A hidden passage the hidden inside passage. a hidden passage. Exactly. Which I assume, okay, fine. The owner of the place was a cuckoo who had mm-hmm. a secret room. Okay, fine. But it's the meteor special. What do they find inside the meteor special? A man who lay bound and gagged. Okay, what? before before we find out who this man is, who they find tied up in the back of this meteor special, let's check in with uh, our, our bingo again. Absolutely. The boys have definitely been tied up. I yep. got that one. Yep. Mm. I don't know how long they were knocked out. It couldn't have been that long. Uh, did we count that as a fist fight? No, because they were. It was just one sided. Yeah. Uh, uh, an actual injury. Perhaps? An actual injury. Yeah, probably. Perhaps. perhaps. Uh, the bad guys were trespassing. That's true. We got the bad guys are trespassing. All right. Well, we're in the final stretch here. Okay. So the guy in the car is the PI. It's the private eye who has been. Sent after them. He was followed them out of the Purdy place or something. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was the private eye that Stroman hired. The captain. He was the and the same guy who gave him the slip earlier that that was an eavesdropper. Oh, all of this doesn't matter. None of this plays matters. no part whatsoever. In it's like oh, a private eye. Well, what's that? Well, it's uh, Sam Allen. Is my real name? Don't he's, care. He's the Mister Smith. Yeah. And I actually have in my notes here, oh, never mind. Not yeah. Fenton. Not Fenton. Never mind, don't care. And then he's like, let's pool our resources. And then says, you know what, actually, never mind, I'm going to go home. And he's not involved anymore. I, okay, uh, bye, Mr. That part's done. Oh, but I like that he hid in the back of the car to try to find out where the bad guys were taking it. And then he sneezed and got caught, which has happened a couple times. Mm-hmm. It's a rookie mistake. Yep, never to Joe or Frank. But of to course not. Chet and Jerry Gilroy have both... No. Yeah. And then when they split up, uh, they decide, you know what? We wouldn't be able to find anyone here tonight anyway. As a, you have flashlights? Yeah. Just, just No, but instead... They'll just the, be knocked from their hands. The four drove back to town in Chet's car. This is where my handwriting starts becoming more caps locked. <laughs> stop delaying the story. <laughs> stop. Just stop. Yeah, they get... Uh, we're, we've got about 50 pages left in the book, and they get uh, all of the information they could possibly need from the crooks. They yep. spill everything. Because in this in this uh, place where they found the car and the mm-hmm. tied-up detective, they also find a ton of the loot. Yeah. And when the cops bring the loot back to the station, they're like, we found the loot. Mm-hmm. They spill the beans about everything. Yeah. And I wrote the end. I'm curious to see what these books would look like if they'd been written in the 70s, because 
as of right now, it's a good thing the Miranda rights don't exist yet. Oh, they do not read them their rights at all. They never I, tell them that it, they... Because imagine how much longer Frank Dixon would have delayed these if they could have gotten a lawyer. Yeah. To tell them, no, no, stop talking. Don't talk. Don't imagine say anything. how much actual detective work they would have to do. After they finally, finally leave the police station, you can tell that even the teenage detectives were bored by this whole thing. Yeah. They realize they can't get a hold of Mr. Dalrymple. Yeah. Um, his bank doesn't know where he is. They can't get a hold of him at home. They don't get. They don't hear from him for a whole day. And that sounds bad. So they're like, "We're going to go out to the Purdy place again. That make sounds sure, dangerous. Make sure that he's fine." Their car randomly breaks down on the way out there. There's no good reason for it. Yeah, doesn't add anything really. Yeah, it, like this isn't sabotage. This nope. isn't a case where the sleuth was stolen. No, nope, their car just sort of craps out. Yeah. And as they're walking to the house, they get KO'd and they get tied up. Mm-hmm. They wake up in a hidden room in the house. Mm-hmm. I guess it's the scene on the cover. It, it that, that's Even though they're on the wrong side mm-hmm. of the room that's covered by the... Right? Is, aren't they on the wrong side of the room? I That's what it sounds like, yeah. Because they're supposed to be inside this room that's covered up by a grandfather clock that hides the entrance. Right. But on the cover, you can see them tied up in the room and the grandfather clock is visible. So I, I whatever, whatever. That's not important. There's this... There's the criminal Jensen, who looks a lot like Mr. Dalrymple. Mm-hmm. And then there's this old man named Mr. Wandy. Who comes out of nowhere. See, I, I kept thinking, like, was he referenced earlier in the book? Is this some character that we were supposed to think was dead or something? No. He comes out of nowhere. He's just a crazy old ad- inventor. They're locked in the secret room, and it's hidden by the grandfather clock. They find out that, like, oh, the way that you get into the secret room is the passageway behind the grandfather clock. But this isn't the panic room. Mm -hmm. This isn't the whole room that the whole mystery was built around. Right. It's a different secret room. Yeah. It doesn't explain at all how they got the notes into the the room to to leave them to threaten Mr. Dalrymple. If the clock hid a secret passageway that led to the panic room, that would have made everything make sense. But instead, there's two separate secret chambers inside this one mansion. Right. It drives me crazy. Is there a... Different name for the trope when the bad guy has the deus ex machina? I... Because it's like, oh, by the way... Demon ex machina? Like, by the way, I have the secret room the whole time. Not not the secret room we knew about. No, 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 of course not. Why would I have the same one as you? And then he's like, hey, bring out your invention, buddy. And this old, this spindly old inventor man brings out this box. And they're like, what's that? And then they realize it's a freaking time bomb. It's, It's a time bomb. It's got a clock on it, it's counting down, and he's like, leave it here, I'm going to blow these boys up. Right, the same kind of clock like the Joker would have left for Batman in the original Adam West series. And the old guy is like, I thought you just said you were going to use that for construction, I I don't want to kill nobody. Even more specifically, you told me this bomb was for some construction work. I have never heard TNT or explosives used for mining referred Referred to to as as a a bomb. bomb. We're gonna set a couple bombs up, uh, uh, bombs off up on the top of the ridge, trying to bring that down. And no, absolutely, charges. We say charges. charges. Uh, but he so, and but then he's like a million years old. So the guy just smacks him to the ground, where he lays stunned on the ground, and uh, ties him up with a time bomb. That then he connects to the grandfather clock, as this like, haha, when and, it when and, it ticks. Yeah, that is how we tie into while the clock. Ticks. No, that's no, still it's not how that still works. still when the clock chimes or when the hour is struck. Uh, and the the time difference here, it's like, you will note the hour, he said. I have arranged that when the hands of this clock reach three, the bomb will be set off. The hearty stared at the clock face. It was already past one o'clock in the morning. You mean there could potentially be an hour before this bomb goes off? Oh, they've got plenty of time. There could be... A, 
They're in like wooden chairs. It, they could probably smash them up. It, yeah, or the old man could stand. Yeah, why three hours? Or why yeah, over why an hour? Set it for ten minutes. Yeah, but of course. If you want the drama. Yeah. Or one minute and then run. I but, don't, yeah, anyway. At the same time, at the same time, doesn't matter because he keeps talking for over an hour I wrote, apparently. I wrote, Jensen will not shut up. He tells them so much information that if the boys weren't gagged, you know they would have been saying, like, we don't care. Right. Tell it to your lawyer. Right. None of us care. Right. Not, and none of this information is something that the audience could have known. Like, oh, this is who this old guy was that you never knew. Surprise, the owner, the original owner of this house, had a cousin, which was never mentioned Never before, mentioned. Never came up before. There's even little things like, you remember what you boys overheard in that restaurant, he reminded them? Of course I didn't expect you'd be my guest or that you would find my key ring. But you've asked for it. How did... What? Like, he walks through every plot point of the book over the course of four or five pages. Right. I, I've written this I hate so it. many times. Does does he know that he's seen a book? Yeah. Does he know that Nanis is reading this? And no wonder he said it for a freaking hour and a half. Yeah. Because, like, he needed that long. Yeah. He, he, he practiced this oh, in man. front of a mirror. At one point, and he knows yeah. it takes a minimum of an hour to get this whole thing out. Yeah. At one point, he acts so amazing, like, no doubt you'd like to know about that scream you heard one night. Don't well, care. Well, I did that. Pretty effective, wasn't it? Ha ha! You don't have to be a genius to scream. We're, we're gagged. We you, can't respond. Yeah. It, it, are, do you really think you're that clever because you can yell? Because yeah. Because you can scream? That, I scared not, an old man. Ha ha. I'm so great. That's not a master plan. I, yeah. And finally, I love this. Page 142. I'm, I, the narrative starts on page uh, 137, uh-huh. I think. And it ends five pages later on 142. And it says, at this point, Jensen ceased his narrative and glanced at the big clock. The hand stood at a quarter past two. How long has he been talking? He's been talking for over an hour. Well, time is bleeding. I'm going to have to get out of here, but fast. It's like, thank God. The boys at that point were like, go off to the bomb. They were like, just go off. Just end it. Just end it. I don't want to listen to this anymore. The sequels Um, don't get any better than this, please. So, Chet... I, like I don't, I'm not ruining anything here. I don't think there's any suspense to this because we know that Chet's out there somewhere looking for the boys. Yep. And as soon as Jensen leaves in the window, basically it's like bah, 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 bah. and Chet Morton is like, "Hi guys!" Runs inside, unties them, they unhook the wires from the clock. Everything's fine. It's not one of those. Oh no! Is it the red wire? Or is it the blue wire? No, it's just oh. just cut them off. They just yank it out. Just yank the wires out. And yet Chet saves the freaking day. The stout boy did not hesitate. He pushed with all his weight upward against the sash. The window flew up. Chet clambered over the sill. You know, for being the plump one of the group, he is... Also, all of these windows were very clearly locked earlier, which means that he broke an old metal lock on an old house. Like, he did some Superman stuff. You know what? I'm starting to think that his diet might actually be the right idea. Yeah. As as we'll find out. Yeah, absolutely. He, He contacted Aunt Gertrude, realized that they hadn't... No one had heard from the boys after they had gotten separated when they scrambled away. And he got this really kind of funny feeling that they were in trouble at the Purdy Mansion. So he went back out there. I was like, psychic Chet. Well, or just really like maybe actual right. detective Chet. Well, and again, let's look at the pattern of this book. There are, really, <laughs> there are only three places they could be. They could only be at Aunt Gertrude's house 
or the police station or the Purdy Mansion. Right. He, he had a one in three shot, and he and narrowed he picked, down he, one of them. He went down. To, he went he to did. one of them, and yeah, that he wasn't down one of them. And he didn't go to the police station. Yeah. Uh, no, he did. No, he called the police. Yeah, he so, waited with her until after midnight. Then they called the police. There were only three locations. They he went could, to the third one. In this book, only yeah. Okay, so process of elimination. But yeah. good, good job, Chet. Yeah. As soon as they get out of the bomb, they decide. You know what? He's going to be back for us when he realizes the house didn't blow up. So they hide behind the clock. Oh just yeah. Just enough for Frank and Joe to be able to look. Well, actually, all four of them looking out. Yeah. So I imagine it's one of those again. They're all stacked. Scooby Doo type things. And Jensen is in there. He's mad. He's livid. He pulls out his revolver and just starts shooting like into Yosi- the, like Yosemite Sam into the ceiling. And and he's like, he unloaded all of his bullets into the ceiling. And then Joe says, "What's a good place for them?" He had a gun the whole time. At no point did he telegraph the fact that he had a loaded gun and could have just been like bang, bang, bang. He said a time bomb. He was gonna kill them. And just kill them. Kill them. Set the bomb for like fifth, like. Maybe 10 minutes to get enough distance. Yeah. At this point, in the 1920s, 1950s, you don't have forensic evidence. No, they're not going to find that body for 60 years when they're developing the property and they're going to be like, huh, it's two teenage boys. Oh, maybe it was those boys that went missing. Yeah, so he has the gun, but he wastes the gun into the ceiling. Classic. Amos Wandy, the inventor, is worried about his invention up on the roof. So he runs out onto the roof. Frank and Chet chase after Jensen down the stairs. Joe chases Wandy out onto the roof into the storm for no freaking reason. And they fall off the roof and they slide down this slate roof and Joe falls and grabs the edge of it and with one hand grabs Wandy and they're dangling from the roof and then Frank and Chet are sprinting out into the... And Jensen like gets away, right? Or did the right. cops get him? Yeah, Jen, yeah, Jensen gets away. They're like, oh, what's going on? Then they look back up. Joe and the old man holding from the roof. So I would just like to point out, at this point in the story, two of the most harrowing, dangerous adventures, which require the most amount of time to describe, were not caused directly by the main bad guy. But they do this crazy thing where, and and Chet again is amazing, he straddles the peak of the roof. Grabs Frank's legs. Yeah. Lowers lowers Frank's Frank's down. And then does this amazing, like, he has to like lean his body, but his muscles never wavered once. Never once wavered. And then he grabs Joe, and then they inch by inch lift Wandy over the lip of the house. Where at this point, they could almost like lower him to the ground. I, I was so confused at the description, because the description is that Joe is holding on to the edge, and he's got one arm around Wandy. I thought that that meant the typical action movie thing where he's desperately clinging on with one fist yeah. and all of Wandy's weight. But yeah. from the way this sounds, it's like, no, he's just holding on to Wandy, but Wandy is also holding on to the roof. Because at one point, Frank reaches his hand down. He's like, I've got your hand. Uh, reach around and grab mine. And he said he could feel Joe's fingers probing. Yeah. Which implies that Joe released his weight in order to grab onto his brother's arm. So it's like, oh, that would pull an arm out of socket with three people. Are you kidding? <laughs> but Chet has no problem. Yeah, that, that's gonna... Chet holds easily 350 pounds of human being. Up towards his body. This is like people suddenly realizing, oh, you know who's actually a really dangerous Avenger? You know, I think that Hulk guy is yeah, really yeah. dangerous. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't mess with Hulk. I mean, we've been making fun of him the whole time for being stupid, but, but yeah, he's no, really strong. Now he's really, really strong. Um, let's see. So they, they have this rescue. They get down to the ground, and the cops show up with Dalrymple, and him being missing is nothing. He got called away on business, but didn't have time to inform his business. 
He's been totally fine the whole time. That's another thing, though, that made me think that he is absolutely not on the level. No wonder he doesn't want the cops involved. I bet him standing there with the cops is him doing a lot of looking at the mm-hmm. cops back and forth because I think he was out of town seeing, yep. like, I don't know, yep. prostitutes or yep. something. He was doing something that he was like, I, I don't know, I had to go, okay? Yeah, yeah, like, the, yeah. the Russian mob doesn't wait yeah. for you to, like, clear up your personal mysteries. Mm-hmm. No, you go and you just go the moment they say go. But anyway, they catch the crook, right? Because mm-hmm. he takes him to the secret road. He's like, I have a feeling where he is. Yeah. Joe does. They have, they don't recover at all. I noticed that also when they almost drowned. They didn't take a moment to recover. They just yeah. immediately hit the trail again. Yeah, they had like for, for a minute, for a minute, the four remained motionless catching their breaths. So apparently this god of a man, Chet Morton... Uh, all hail be to our savior, Chet, Chet Morton, Morton yeah. he who raised all three people up from the edge of death, Yeah. Uh, only needed a minute for his arms and his legs to recover. Yeah, I mean, chuck some chocolate milk, Chet, and you're yeah. good to go, buddy. Yeah, I'm, so- I'm sorry, plump? Plump? Are you calling you know, these these guns and these biceps and these abs plump? I think it's calling? like Kingpin from Spider-Man, yes. where they're like, you big old fat guy, and you hit him, and you're like, oh, he's solid oh. muscle. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's that. Absolutely. Uh, which, good for Chet, but... I mean, you know what? I want to eat what Chet's eating. Yeah, clearly exactly. He, sounds, clearly he figured it out. Sounds delicious. Succulent homemade peach jam. They find this guy in the... On 160, I don't know, does he look a little like Hitler to you? <laughs> so the way... What we're referencing is another picture from the book with the caption, Jensen came towards the boys, lowering the three-pronged tool threateningly. A pitchfork. He has a pitchfork. He's in this barn and he's surrounded by hay, but he just looks a little bit if, like Hitler. If his mustache was a little bit shorter, shorter on the edges, but no, I'm sure that couldn't be. Why would anyone in the U.S. have any reason to doubt that good old German leader in the 1920s? Oh, he's yeah, just you're doing right. What is, I'm so sorry if that is politically incorrect. Oh, maybe. wildly politically yeah. incorrect. Yeah. But no, I mean... I... You know what's really funny is a joke about Hitler. Yes, everybody loves them. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I want to talk about the invention really quick because basically what happens at the end, and I know that this is this is a quick wrap up, but they catch the bad guy, they wrestle him to the ground, they tie him up, the cops get him, and then they find the loot. They the first place they look for the stolen jade, they find it. Mm-hmm. the The real fun comes after that when they learn about what the invention was, the that, way that they got into the secret room because yeah. earlier they checked the time lock works. Mm-hmm. There are no hidden passageways. The only way in or out of that building is a fireplace. But That's the... too small for even a baby to climb down, right. says Frank. No, because I could easily rant about this invention, so please okay. go first. My thing about this invention is that it is a claw machine. It's a vending machine claw machine. The whole thing, it's a box with a cord at the end of it. And then there's these little tongs, is what they refer to as something. When a button is pressed, they open. And when the button's released, they close. It's a grabber claw. And they're like, the, the United States military intelligence will want to take a look at this. If I'm right, Joe observed, the jaws will open after so many revolutions of the wheels. He clicked a switch. With a little hum, the metal wheels turned. After a few seconds, the jaws opened, and the wheel stopped. When the jaws closed together once more, the wheels turned again, but in the opposite direction. Yeah. Whoa. Literally, as you've already said, it's... A claw machine, and I'm. <laughs> yeah, I can I'm putting see. the book down for me. Yeah, no, I can what? see how angry it makes you. It made you really angry what's, too. What's the you? last invention yeah. was a wireless radio that could connect anywhere on Earth. That that makes sense. Yeah, that's a crazy like, invention. Nowadays, for us here in 2017, that's like, you know, I have a 
magic box in my pocket that can do that to yeah. the Verizon. This metal box, which has an opening and shutting claw, I am trying to think of how many applications this would actually be useful for. Because I'm like, well, to defuse a bomb, well, in this day and age, you would just have to snip it. Yeah. It's clearly weak enough to where a piece of paper doesn't get torn apart Sure, when it's opening and closing. That's how they got the secret messages in. This machine rolled down the chimney, opened up to drop the notes in, which apparently fluttered. Yeah, and didn't, didn't fall right into the fire. Fire, fluttered in. Whatever. Rolled back up. Yeah, what else could you use that for? Delivering poison. Uh, Maybe. But the main thing is that the military, I, I imagine the military investigated the applications of this for about 10 years, realized there weren't any, sold it to private enterprise, and they invented claw machines. I would be surprised if the army only looked at this for 10 seconds. Yeah, and they were like, said, oh. Uh, you know what? You know, my hand does... Yeah, it, we've discovered magnets, right? <laughs> like, like you know, we have magnets. We can do that a lot faster. Or, like, at fast. least in Sherlock Holmes, it's like a snake. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're like, the snake crawls down the rope, right. and you're like, it's something... Right, you have to, like, figure out how original. to bake the snake. You have to figure out how to get the snake to do that. Well, the... Oh. We got we gotta just let it go. Because apparently this invention... Yeah, that... The claw machine is the greatest invention of the 21st century. Something to steal. Of course, if it was a real claw machine, it would only work half the time. Yeah, it would only work half the time. Or it would be rigged to only work one in ten times. One in, yeah. It's just sort of that weak, sort of flimsy, oh, no, Mm -hmm. couldn't get it. So they go home, and they're like, we want dinner. And they're like, no dinner, go to sleep. There will be a big meal tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And they're like, okay. That's weird. (laughs) And then they get a phone call, and over the phone, someone says to them, death will strike while the clock ticks. Click. And they're like, oh no, did we miss something? Oh, yeah. this, oh this could be bad. we got to get back to the Purdy Mansion right now. They One last back. time. They run. They get in the car. They go as fast as they can. They're like, something dangerous is happening here. Someone may be in trouble. No. Yeah, they walk into the house. They walk into the living room. Surprise! Three cheers for the Hardys. And it's a big party in their honor. And it's them just like, you know... Having a good time. It's all the people that were at the party before. And I Iola, was like, Callie's there, Biff's there, Chet's there. It's clear the that Aunt Gertrude threw this whole thing. And I'm like, way to go, Aunt Gertrude. For all of your naysaying and emergency breaks on the momentum of the story, mm-hmm. at least at the end, you, you knew that the boys had done something good. And right. you threw this big uh, thing. But at the same time, again... Why'd you at, have to scare it, them? Yeah, if this, was, if this was real, it's like, oh, you boys have just been through a traumatic event where you were almost blown to bits. Hold and on. you had to save... You were almost blown to bits. You were all almost killed. This horrible thing happened. You, a guy came at you with a pitchfork. Yes, you overpowered him, but that was dangerous. The guy had a gun at one point. You were tied and up. There was a bomb. There was so much bad stuff. You know what we're going to do to celebrate for you? Remind you of all the danger and make you terrified again. Yeah. We're First thing in the morning. First thing in the morning. Yeah. And they're like, and then they have a big meal and they're staring at the big clock and they feel, and this has started to be a recurring theme at the end of it. They feel that emptiness inside that the mystery is over. Yeah. Where they're like, oh God. What do our lives even mean if we're not solving mysteries? Boys, it's been 12 hours. Yeah, just like... It has been 12 hours. Uh, But they're rewarded with a check made out to the travel agency being like, you can take a vacation, you earned it. Which, as the boys, I would have been like, is this redeemable for cash? Yeah, well, I mean, when you're rich, you don't... Yeah, you know, you just like... You don't just need money you want someone else to pay for your money to go on a vacation that's true but that's the end of the hardy boys mystery a big reward and a tease for the next book okay so let's look at our bingo one last time here 
Well, it wasn't an explosion. That's kind of the point. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it wasn't. There was an invention. There was an, oh, was there an invention? Oh, there sure was. The best one ever. There they got a reward. A reward. Uh, I, would, I would say in the barn that was a fist fight. Oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. They beat the crap out of that guy. I would, From reading this, I feel like I got permanent brain damage. Okay. I don't affect that. It does really take a tax on... Because at first it's silly, and then it starts to get really, really frustrating, mm-hmm. and then you're just so numb to it. And then it gets frustrating again. And then it's... And then sometimes it's funny again. But but usually by the time you're done, you're just so mad. Yeah. About all yeah. the stuff they made you go yeah. through. So what do we think? Do I we, got nothing here. Yeah. We, I mean, even if we include a ghost, the fact that guns were only fired in one direction. Sure, it doesn't make it a gunfight. Not a gunfight. Ah, like, no new vehicles. Well, yeah. I am sorry. I don't, I don't think either of us have a bingo. All right, well, thank you so much, James. I had oh. so much fun reading this book. Oh, yeah, I for all the grief I gave it, it is a harmless book. So much fun to make fun of. Well, fun. everybody tune in Bye. next episode because apparently the Hardy Boys are going south of the border. <laughs> I am so excited for Hardy Boys Leave the Country. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to handle South of the border of Bayport, New York, they are going to Massachusetts. No, Apparently, they are going to South America. What? You know, they're going to Portugal down South America way. Uh, No. (laughs) So everybody, tune in for that. James, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Of course, anytime. The Hardy Boys Drink Book is a part of their network. It is produced by Jack and Charles Wefson. Our music is provided by Danny Overby, and our graphic design and photography is done by Kristen Hallstrom. Special thanks for James Thompson for being our guest and for waiting a whole month for his episode to come out. If you want to get a hold of us, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter, or you can reach us at thehardyboysdrinkbook at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope 2018 is going to be a great year. And don't miss our next episode, Footprints Under the Window, featuring Jack Wefso.